I was in the eye doctor's office last week. When they were done taking my picture of my eye, uh, they had me sit in the exam room and wait for the doctor. And since I had a few minutes to kill, I was looking around in his office, and a poster caught my attention. I was fascinated by it because it was a poster of the eye. And so uh, when the eye doctor came in, I said to him, you know, I was looking at your poster, and I was just fascinated by it. And I said to him, I said, when uh, you look at that, you cannot help to think that it points to a design, and that design had to come from a creator. And I said, I believe in God. I'm, I, I mean, there's no way you can look at that and tell me that God did not create it. And the doctor said, and I was quite surprised, he said, yes. He said, I agree with you, and the human heart is the same. And then he said this, he said, I, it just blows me away that God had the knowledge to create us, to make us like that. And so I was thinking if a person really wanted to, he could do all the research and you could come up with an argument for the existence of God and throw in the gospel there, obviously, just based on the human eye alone. But I want to tell you that we have a better defense this morning of the Christian faith before us. And it's found in 1 John, written by the apostle who lived and walked with Jesus Christ for over three years. Before we get into the text that we will be looking at, I want to remind you why the apostle John wrote this letter, especially if you're new or visiting this morning. Some false teachers had penetrated the church and were spreading two major heresies. John wrote this letter to, count, to counter the two lies that, had, that confused the people and the people who were trying to understand the truth of the gospel. The first lie was that the false teachers denied the reality of sin. In 1 John chapter 1, John tells us that if we continue in sin, we can't claim to belong to God. If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to live according to the truth. The second lie was that they denied that Jesus was the Christ, which means the anointed one of God. The Holy Scriptures proclaim him as fully God and fully man, God in the flesh. This is what Christians call the incarnation, that God became flesh to save mankind. It is our bedrock foundation of truth. If you deny this truth, then you are dead in your sins. Only the God-man, Christ, was able to die for us because as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we see a purpose statement for this letter from chapter 2, verse 26, when he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. The Apostle John wants us to understand the truth of the gospel, so there is no doubt 
what it means to be a Christian. And I hope when you leave here today, especially if you don't know the Lord, you will have no doubt what it means to become a child of God. So we know from church history that the target area for this letter was Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. Not only was Asia Minor on the apostles' heart, but also on the Lord's. Later, when John was instructed to write the book of Revelation, he was told to write it to the seven churches who were all in the Asia Minor area. But now we have this wonderful book that the Lord intended for the church. The church past, present, and future. And through it, we see the beauty of the truth of the gospel. The text for this morning is 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through 3-3. And I want to read that for you. Please listen to the word of God. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Looking at the text for today, John starts this letter by saying, And now, little children, we have an apostle who loves and cares for the church, concerned with the heresy and false teaching that has spread confusion and caused trouble. So like a father who loves his children, he addresses the believers as little children. You can see the love and concern for the people that they understand and believe the truth of the gospel. The truths from today's text are, considering Christ's return, the true Christian will abide in him. Second, if you have been born again, you will practice righteousness. Third, if you are born again, you are a child of God. Fourth, Considering Christ's return, we will purify ourselves as he is pure. So the first point that considering Christ's return, a true Christian will abide or remain in him. What does it mean to abide in him? Within the context of this letter, it means several things, and he reveals these truths to us so that they stand out on their own. Like a lifeline on a steep cliff, or vital blood to a dying soldier because it has everything to do with our relationship with Christ 
and our relationship with one another. He wants us to see these truths are critical because they reveal if you are healthy or sick. If you are on life support and in critical condition or strong and ready to do battle to help your fellow soldier. Looking back to the previous verses he wrote in chapter 2, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In verse 10, he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. In verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And verse 27, he says, but the anointing you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So we can see from reading these verses that abiding or remaining in him has to do a lot with our relationship with Christ and our fellow man. But within the context of this scripture, it means more than that. It tells us what the meaning of life is, why we finish the race and endure suffering and pain or persecution and death. We endure these things. We remain in him because our hope is in his glorious return, the second coming of Christ. Titus 2.13 says, It is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, 1 Corinthians 8, 1.8 says, It is the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter calls it the last time. Acts 3.21 says, It is the time for restoring all things. It is foretold by the angels, prophets, Christ, and the apostles. The Holy Scriptures tell us that there will be signs before his return. Revelation 1.7 says that he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will well on account of him. He is coming with great power and glory. And he says in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who will be. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But in considering Christ's return, the apostle also gives us a warning. He says to abide in him so that when he appears, we will have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. For the unbeliever, this will happen, especially at the judgment seat of Christ. But for the Christian, this should never happen. The Holy Scriptures are full of warnings of why we need to be on guard so that we never slip away from the truth of the gospel. Heresies are all around us today, just like during the early church. People fall for lies 
because they are not grounded in the truth of the Holy Scriptures and do not understand the truth of the gospel. Just a brief look at 2.27 again, we see that God's Holy Spirit guards and guides the true believer into the truth. What is the truth of the gospel? Remember the witness of the Apostle John? This Christ, or Messiah, was with the Father and is the eternal God who became flesh. This word of life was made manifest, and he has seen it and testifies to it and proclaims to you the eternal life you will have if you abide in Christ. John was a witness to the miracles that Christ performed, the water into wine, the healings of people like the man who was born blind, the feeding of the five and four thousand, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, who laid in his tomb for four days, four days before the Lord came to him. John witnessed the transfiguration when Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And John saw Moses and Elijah talking with him. John, John saw a bright cloud overshadow them when a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And with the warning, listen to him. John witnessed the crucifixion and death of Christ. He saw the Roman soldier pierce his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. But most important, John was a witness of Christ's resurrection. And so were over 500 people. Remember Moses, when Moses stood in front of the burning bush, and God spoke to him. What did God say to him? He said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That is why Christ declared, He is not God of the dead, but of the living. John was there when Christ was lifted and ascended back to be with the Father until the appointed time when he will return. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it says, This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so, considering this truth, we who believe and are Christians will abide and remain in him. Because we know the truth and are called to walk in the truth, to walk as Jesus walked, we must do this by persevering in faithfulness and sound doctrine, which leads us to the salvation that is found in Christ alone. It means we have a responsibility to examine ourselves and see if we really are walking in the faith, if we are in him and he is in us. Do we produce the fruits of the Spirit in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control? Do we admit that we are sinful people? And it is only through Christ that we are saved 
and can have a relationship with the Father and His Son. John says that if you abide in Him, you may have confidence in His appearance and not shrink back from Him at His coming for this very reason, because you have been born again. The second point is that considering Christ's return, a true believer will exhibit a righteous life because he has been born again. In fact, righteous living is impossible unless that is true, unless you have been born from God. So what does it mean to be born again? The Greek word in verse 29 of this passage for born again is the same verb that is used in John 3, 7 where Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again. He told Nicodemus that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that he needed a spiritual cleansing, a spiritual washing or purification of the soul. This is only accomplished by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God at the moment of salvation. The person born again through the Holy Spirit takes on a new nature. It is like replacing your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. The person who receives Christ as Lord and Savior is cleansed. Ephesians 5.26 says, Christ sanctifies or makes the church holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So how is one born again? The Word of God says that you must be sorry for your sins and repent, which means to turn from your sins and turn toward Christ. And by asking Him to forgive you and declaring Him as Savior and Lord, you will be saved. When you are saved, you will receive the Holy Spirit that will dwell within you and your value system will come from the wisdom of God and His Holy Word. It is the deposit of God's Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to walk in truth, persevere in faithfulness, and understand the sound doctrine of scriptures that he has given us. In fact, it is through God's Spirit that enables you to put on the full armor of Christ and take a stand against what is evil. Because we have been born again, we inherit this new nature that displays itself through our Christian character which enables us to practice righteous behavior, which is the opposite of wickedness. Righteous behavior comes from being a child of God, meaning you will do what is just and right in the Lord's eyes. Wicked behavior means you are still a child of the world, whose God is the devil himself. The third point is that if you are born again, you are a child of God. In 3, verse 1, it says, John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This is God's adoption of us into the family of God. Think of it this way. By the will of God, The eternal God and King of the universe saw you as a slave to an evil and cruel master. We, 
who were slaves to that master, did not understand or realize that this evil one, who Christ called a murderer and the father of lies, was planning our destruction. We fell for his lies and became children of the devil. But by the will of God, through Christ Jesus, he rescued us from the clutches of the evil one. We see now how great the love of God the Father is that we should be called children of God. Even though we were enemies of him, God chose to love us with an agape love. It means to have a good will toward another. So as Ephesians 1.4 tells us, before the foundation of the world, he already had us in mind. He chose that we would be holy and blameless before him. Through his great love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, so that we would have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our sins, according to his riches of grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As children of God, we are part of his plan, that when the fullness of time as we know it is fulfilled and Christ returns, we will be united with him and will reign with him forever and ever and ever. There will no longer be sickness and death or evil of any kind. John Calvin points out that those who receive Jesus Christ receive full authority to claim the exalted title, children of God. Unrighteous persons are declared righteous. Unworthy sinners are declared worthy of salvation, all because God the Father chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be honored with the great title, children of God. As the apostle says, and so we are. This is why the world does not know us, why the world hates us, we are children of God. They are children of the devil. We are children of the light. They are children of the darkness. Just like oil and water do not mix, so children of the light and children of the darkness will clash. Their way of doing things should not be our way. We are called to influence the darkness and dispel it. So it should never be that the dark influences and dispels the light. We are called to, get, to let our light shine so the world has no choice but to be confronted with it. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. This is a mystery. But Scripture does give us some clues. Little nuggets of truth that we are to look forward to. And so John tells us we will be like him because we will see him as he is. 
We know that we will not be equal to him. He is the eternal God. We are created. So it is nothing like that. Looking at Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21, we are told that when the time comes, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Remember Moses? He came down the mountain after talking to God and his face shone. Aaron and the leaders of the people had to put a veil over his face because it was scaring the people. And the transfiguration, when it says that Christ's face shone like the sun. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. The Christian's hope is rooted in the resurrection. If you are a child of God and you physically die before Christ returns, you will go straight to the Lord. Remember, he is not a God of the dead, but of the living. That's why Christ tells us in John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. We will all be like him. My fourth point is considering Christ's return. Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There is nothing you can think of that will be more glorious than that day when you will meet the Lord face to face. On him alone hangs every hope and joy wrapped up and preserved for you when you finish the race and enter the kingdom of God. No eye has seen, no mind has conceived what our God and Savior has prepared for his faithful servants who persevere to the time when all the faithful will be together forever. Since we have that hope, we must live a life worthy of our calling a life that is pure and holy because he is holy. When we first came to Christ, our pursuit of holiness was just starting, and we must persevere until we meet him. We must be dead to sin, refusing to live as we used to in ignorance, feeding the flesh instead of the spirit. As Romans 12 points out to us, we must learn how to present our bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual worship to our Lord. We must no longer conform to the ways of this wicked world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will be able to discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. But what happens when we do sin? If we are a child of God waiting for his return, we will continue to ask for forgiveness when we sin until the day when we receive our glorified bodies. The idea of purifying oneself is not only an outward purification, but also of inner cleansing. John 1.9, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John says that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. There is a huge gap and difference between these two people. First, we have a sincere Christian who sins and is convicted by his sin, who repents and asks for forgiveness. He is cleansed by Christ and cleansed repeatedly because he is a child of God and Christ's righteousness is imputed to him. His desire is to live a pure and righteous life, to walk as Jesus walked. He understands that his hope is rooted in the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. Then there is the one who claims to be a child of God, but never sees the sinful lifestyle or sins they commit. There is no repenting and no desire to live a pure life and walk as Jesus walked. This is because they neither fear God nor really believe in his word. This is the problem in the church. There is no middle ground. Either we have a desire to be pure and holy because Christ is holy, or we don't. The true Christian will try to live a pure life before Christ and his fellow man. If you claim to be a child of God, then your desires will be to live as a child of God. You cannot claim to be a true Christian and continue to walk in darkness. At some point, Christ will impel you to repent of your sin so that you can walk with him. James 4.8 points out, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The standard is high. If we say that we abide in him, then according to God's word in 1 John 1.6, we ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is what it means to be pure. So what are the implications of this scripture for the church, for us today? For those who do not abide or remain in Christ, I am speaking to anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Our Lord tells us in Ezekiel chapter 33 that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from his evil ways and live. And God has provided this through his son, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who came to this earth for one purpose, to physically die on a cross so that all who look to him would live and have eternal life in his name. You might say, why do you call me wicked? I'm a good person. The Lord has said that all our good deeds and righteous acts are like filthy rags to him. If you have ever lied, you are a liar. If you have ever stolen anything, then you are a thief. If you have ever lusted, then you are guilty of sexual immorality. That's why Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
The Apostle John states in 1 John 10 that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Your only hope is to tell him you are sorry for your sins and ask him to forgive you. What will happen? Christ's righteousness will be given to you, and you will be justified before God by his grace as a free gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, you will be born again and become a child of God. For those who are believers and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't like the hard parts of the gospel. God's word comforts us and sometimes convicts us. Which is it today? In Luke 18, 8, the Lord asks this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He tells us it will be like the days of Noah. The period before his return will be marked by persecution, apostasy, and unbelief. So I ask you, how will you be found? Will you continue to remain in him? to abide in him, persevering in the faith of your salvation. If you lose everything and have nothing, will you still choose to remain in him, even under persecution and death? Will you continue to practice righteousness, doing what is right in his eyes? And may righteousness be our habit in how we live as we wait for his return. If you do this, you will prove that you have been born again and are a child of God. Considering his return, will you purify yourself by being quick to repent and asking for forgiveness? Will you have a desire to live a pure life because we will be like him? If he is truly Lord and Savior of your life, then you will pursue a life of holiness because he is holy. Always remember how much God loves you and what a privilege it is to be called a child of God. We are in his kingdom and in his family, and no one will ever take that away. May the Lord be with you and your family as you look forward to his return. And I say, come, Lord Jesus, come.